0: The scariest thing was when this last time I woke up in jail, being read charges, very serious felony charges, and I was faced possible life in prison. That was the end of life as
1: I knew it. to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, a licensed professional counselor and nationally board certified counselor in the state of Alabama. The focus of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to have real conversations concerning taboo topics that people in the church may find themselves struggling with or feel they may not be able to talk about. The topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. These topics are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological or mental health advice, nor is it a substitute for a diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. All right now, let's get started.
2: Hey everyone, I just wanted to quickly come on before the interview and just touch base because as I'm sure most of you have noticed, I have not been releasing as many interviews or content as I have in the past. Part of that reason is because I was completing an education specialist degree, which took up a lot of time. I was involved in research, and if you've listened to past interviews or episodes, sometimes you've seen announcements for a training I was doing on trauma-informed care, suicide awareness, and suicide prevention. That was part of the research I was doing for this degree requirement. But thankfully I had finished, I completed the degree. Um, It will be finalized, meaning I will receive my piece of paper, my document, in April of this year. So I'm very excited about that. I'm excited about new doors that God is opening. The other thing, I've also been involved with Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministries Retreat. I am the founder and director of this retreat. And so I have been very involved with that. I'm going to be talking more about Resolute and Refresh. I'm also in future episodes going to be talking more about what is therapy? What is counseling in regard to the church? Please be patient with me as I continue to edit interviews that I've already done in the past and just have not been able to get to. I have some great stuff, some great content coming up, and I am got some inspiration, and I am finally refreshed from having to take a sabbatical for a little while. So there is more content coming, and I can't wait to share this. I have a short announcement before the interview with Terry Boucher, And I know you will be blessed to listen to that interview. So just listen to the announcement and then the interview will start. Have a wonderful day. If you are a pastor's wife, a minister's wife, or a woman in ministry, then you will want to listen to this important announcement for some exciting news. Coming October 5th through the 7th, 2023, there will be a Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministry Retreat in Independence, Missouri. The theme for this year's Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministries Retreat is raw but real. And the definition of Resolute is admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering. Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministry Retreat is designed for women who are the wife of a pastor, the wife of a minister, or they are involved in ministry and understand how important it is to be purposeful, determined, and unwavering. These women understand that no matter what level or capacity they serve in ministry, there are times when a few days away are needed so they can be the best they can be for their spouses, their families, and their churches that they serve. The purpose of this retreat is to invite women who are involved in ministry together so they can specifically be ministered to and be refreshed women who attend this retreat will have a place to just get away for a few days so they can be supported refreshed and then return to their churches feeling rejuvenated the speakers who are chosen for this retreat are godly women who are greatly anointed more information will be announced in the near future on both Instagram and Facebook about the speakers, the cost of registration, and when registration will be opening. For more information, go to Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministry page on Facebook or Instagram, or you can send an email at resoluteandrefreshlm@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Now for the Real Talk 238 podcast, here we go. Hey, everyone. Thank you for coming today and listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast. I'm your host, Denise Lee, and today I have with me Terry Boucher. He is from Fargo, North Dakota. He's a roofing contractor. He has been in the church 11 and a half years since he came back to God, but he originally was raised in it from birth and just walked away as a young teenager. He attends Antioch Church in Fargo, North Dakota. And he says he currently doesn't serve in ministry. I find that hard to believe just because of his passion. But he's hoping to get a substance abuse program going at his church this fall, as well as get into the local jails to minister. He describes himself as friendly, outgoing, loyal, and hardworking. And he can juggle, which I thought was pretty awesome. Hey, Terry, how are you today?
0: Hey, Denise. Good. Thank you for having me.
2: Well, thank you for coming on. I did ask you a little bit about the juggling. So what got you interested in juggling?
0: You know, I honestly, I can't remember. It was around third or fourth grade when there was a talent contest in school. And my friend and I decided we were going to join. And I'm not sure how we learned, but we learned how to juggle pretty quick, I suppose. By the end of it, I was juggling apples and then eating them as they would go around. So that was kind of fun.
2: So when's the last time you juggled?
0: Honestly, I think I did it a few times for my pastor's kids back when we were in the basement when we first started out in home missions. So it's been two or three years ago.
2: That's not something everybody could do. The way I first heard about you was I seen a Facebook ad and it's on your book you wrote From Darkness to Light and it caught my attention. And this is how you get on the podcast. It's got to catch my attention. And I had intended to reach out to you. You ended up reaching out to me, I guess, because of my business. It's called Life Recovery Counseling. Are you currently involved in that ministry?
0: No, but it's something I want to get involved. It's a program I actually started. I was ordered by the courts to go to Life and Focus Education. When I first got out of jail the last time on bond, and it was just a successful Program, and it's just something I wanted to start at my own church to try to reach people that are coming off of parole and probation.
2: That's why you had reached out to me. I get a lot of calls. People will contact me thinking that my counseling program has to do with addictions because it has recovery in it. When I thought of the name for my counseling practice, I was thinking about all kinds of stuff happens in life, and sometimes we just have to recover from life. And that's how I came up with life recovery counseling. You wrote the book. I'm towards the end of it when you're finally going to church and and you're going through all these different jobs. But you have such a phenomenal testimony in this book that you wrote about. What made you decide to write the book?
0: I've always thought about writing it before, just because I've been through um, a lot of stuff in my life. And I've had a lot of people over the years tell me I should write about it. I've kind of just brushed it off. In this past couple years, my pastor's mother-in-law actually told me that I should really write about my story and something about it. When she said at that time, it just stuck. And then I started having, kind of like when you get a burden for something, a desire started burning within me. And I just couldn't let it go that time. So I decided When I took off work for the winter, since I can't do roofing, I just started putting the pen to the paper and then went from there. Started going through all my police reports and stacks of paperwork I've had put away for years now, trying to put together.
2: You literally have copies of your police report?
0: Oh, I do. I have tons of them. Police reports, violations from my PO, just you name it, stacks of them.
2: When I was reading your testimony, I was just, I think I was really blown away because. The whole time I'm reading this, I'm thinking, man, God has had his hand on you.
0: Yes, he has.
2: Because you've been stabbed. You've been hit in the head.
0: Yep. Stabbed, hit in the head numerous times. with Hockey sticks, fights with crowbars, many car wrecks. One of them, I definitely should have been dead and stopped breathing. They had to revive me. So many times I should have been dead from drug overdoses. It's just unreal. Wandering around the streets of St. Louis in places I shouldn't be, where people get shot all the time, even in broad daylight. I just ran around without a care in the world. And when I think about it now, I would never, I, w- I wouldn't want to go back there at all, even in the daylight. So yes, he's had his hand on me for sure.
2: Your mom took you to church as a kid. Yes, ma'am. And then what started pulling you away from the church?
0: I think a lot of it was music. I can't accept until I when I really first started, like really getting away from it before that, I think it was just other kids, you know, just a bad influence. Um, I started listening to stuff, even in church at other kids house, like Metallica and music like that, but I was still in church. It didn't seem to be that bad. And then as I grew older, I just started just listening to worse music. I started listening to death metal sneaking out all the time just causing destruction to people's property started doing drugs and then i think when it really got bad was i could watch a music video by Marilyn manson it just took me and from that moment on i just felt compelled to and i just watched i watched that video over and over and over countless times and then eventually it led to me watching movies on the occult and then one of which where i watched them These teenage girls were praying to different spirits and invoking spirits. And I literally copied what they had done and went outside and sat down and prayed to the devil and invoked him in me and different spirits to use me as he will, as we would for God. And it went downhill very, very quickly after doing that. So from there, it just kind of took off. I just fell more and more into really hard drugs, crack cocaine, methamphetamine, LSD, it just took over my life. There was no stopping As As you hear a lot of people say, sin will take you farther than, than you ever wanted to go. And that's the truth for sure. Eventually, I didn't have a conscience anymore. I didn't hear God. I didn't hear anything. It was just like I knew one day I would be going to hell, but it didn't faze me at all.
2: In those early days... When you're getting more influenced by music and then drugs starts coming in, did you ever see in places looking back where God was trying to reach you, but you weren't hearing it or having it? I
0: know for many years, my mom, not for many years as far as like getting me to go to church for quite a while. She would try to pay me, she just do anything she could just to get me to come to church. I think he did for a few years. And after that, I think he kind of turned me over maybe to a retrograde mind to live my life as I please. It wasn't until I think whenever I finally had gotten stabbed, that was the time when I kind of started thinking, I'm here for a reason. I should definitely be dead. But then it still didn't stop me. But it kind of, I think around that time is when I kind of started thinking about different things very, very slowly. It took many, many years.
2: When you were talking about the stabbing, was that by your brother? Yes, it was. What caused him to stab you?
0: (laughs) we have both been drinking all night, smoking crack cocaine. I remember he kept wandering through the living room, belligerent drunk and stumbling into stuff. I was just laying on the floor. My friend was over on the couch. I was just trying to get some kind of rest. He had been aggravating me. And the last time when he come through, he ended up stumbling and stepping right on top of me. And by that time, I had just had it. So I got up and I punched him, knocked him into the kitchen. And then right around the kitchen on the counter was one of those knife blocks. Once he got his composure, he just grabbed a butcher knife from the knife block and then came at me. Started stabbing me.
2: Were you even aware what he was doing when he started coming at you?
0: At first, no. When he first came at me, I didn't, I knew he was coming at me. I didn't know he had a knife. I'm not sure how many times he stabbed me before I realized that it was a knife because I wasn't really feeling pain. Started realizing it was happening. There was no pain. I started putting my hand up to try to block him. But as I said, I didn't feel anything. And then I was finally able to take him to the ground and get the knife from him. Meanwhile, my mom was beating me in the head with a fireplace poker because she thought it was my brother on top of me because the lights were dim. She was just trying to get it to stop.
2: So not only are you getting stabbed by your brother, your mom's hitting me in the head with a poker.
0: Yeah, so I was able to get out of there.
2: Does your mom ever comment about those early days?
0: No. I think we talk about it too much every once in a while we're reminiscing with somebody about a story. She just shakes her head. But we put her through a lot.
2: Where is your brother at now?
0: He is here in Fargo now. He's still here. He moved. He came up here. He was up here and within 15 hours or so after being released from prison, I want to say it was 2018, I believe, he got out of prison and then came straight up here to stay with me till he get his feedback on the ground.
2: Hopefully things are better for him, though.
0: Yeah, they are better.
2: Now, is your mom up there as well with you?
0: She stays with me, and she's in the other room.
2: I hope you told her pray because everything could happen. Yeah, before the interview started, I think it took us about 30 minutes to get it going. It did. It was just one thing after another. What was one of the most scariest times for you?
0: I guess I would say waking up in jail because there's, there's so many things I used to do. I just didn't have any. I didn't care. care. This person pulled a gun and said he's going to shoot me or or stab me or whatever. I literally would threaten him. I just didn't care. But I think the the scariest thing was when this last time I woke up in jail being read charges, very serious felony charges, and I was facing possible life in prison. That was the end of life as I knew it. I think that would probably be the scariest, heart-wrenching, my life is over kind of feeling which is what it took, though, to get back.
2: Was that the false
0: accusations? Yes, it was. I was charged with felonious restraint, first-degree assault, unlawful use of a weapon, and armed criminal action. And the armed criminal action charge alone was a minimum of three years and ranged all the way up to life in prison just for that charge. The other ones were seven years, I think 10 years, 15 years. Any one of them could have been a lot of time in prison and a good chance, possibly, life in prison.
2: What did your probation officer say during all this time?
0: can't remember everything. I think they were just like in disbelief. They pretty much washed their hands. They didn't know what else they could do for me because I actually had a really nice PO. Not after I'd first gotten out of jail the last time, but prior to that. She tried everything for me to try to better my life. She honestly wasn't out to get me. I'd burned every bridge, every chance they gave me until one of the last few times I told them to just lock me up. Because it was easier to go do time than it was to stay sober or stay out of trouble. And then when I got out, at first, the PO I had, she didn't like me at all, kept me on a very short lease. wasn't until later on, she started seeing who I really was that she started giving me a little bit more leniency to go to church. And I started having some favor with her.
2: At that time, you weren't back in church yet.
0: Not before the last time I got arrested. I wasn't in church at all. Whenever I got out for these serious charges of false accusations. I did start going to church right away, even with an ankle bracelet. I was actually baptized with an ankle bracelet on.
2: How'd they keep it dry?
0: They didn't. And I was worried because you're not supposed to submerge it and the pressure can destroy it, which I'd be in a lot of trouble and paying a lot of money, possibly locked back up. I thought about one time getting a wetsuit like scuba divers wear and putting it on. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to you know, trust God that he's going to make sure everything's okay. And it was, there's never no issue with that. Although I didn't want to stay in the water too long after, after <laughs> being baptized. I didn't hang out too long. I kind of just wanted to get up out of there.
2: I always think it might get a little shocking.
0: They're good on water, even in the shower. You are just not something to do with the pressure. Can't destroy it. And then I'd be in trouble. It's pretty serious because they might think I'm taking off too.
2: No, we don't. <laughs> we don't want them thinking that. Now yeah. it makes me think of. I've heard of stories before that where they go into jails and they'll have these inmates on death row, and these ministers would go in there to baptize them. And of course, death row inmates they're all shackled, and then they get baptized and the the shackles shackles are, come off come off and it's like wow. That's
0: neat. I've heard of stuff like that too. That's really cool. Really, really cool.
2: You had the false accusation and I'm just like, there was a lot in that book. There really was. I was just like, wow. And then you started going to church and when I was reading in there, there was a period going to church you still struggled with addiction.
0: I did. I did. At first when I got baptized, I thought, oh, I'm gonna throw my cigarettes away. I don't need these no more. And it was like by faith, God did deliver from me. And then I started going through some stuff and I decided to pick it back up when really I could have overcame it. But once I picked the cigarettes back up, it just led to condemnation. And I just continued to struggle with the cigarettes. That never ended. Through that time, I had gotten married, which I never did listen to my pastor and I should have. I got married, then I'm going through a bad divorce. And then that broke me. And then I started doing drugs here and there throughout all that time. And it just eventually It progressed to where I stopped hearing God's voice like I used to. I didn't feel I'd go to church, but I didn't feel His Spirit like I used to. I was eager to get to the altar. You know, I just couldn't wait for church to get over so I could get to the altar every single service. And I found myself dragging my myself to church, and it just got worse. Kind of like they say, when you go back to it, you know, you bring seven other spirits worse than the other, and it's just the state of that man is worse than before. It, It definitely progressed to being worse than it was.
2: So you were court ordered to go to a recovery program? Yes, ma'am. When did that occur?
0: I wasn't out of jail too long. I was on house arrest with an ankle bracelet. And I would say within a week or so, my probation officer gave me a phone number of somebody to call and said, you need to call this man so you can set up an appointment to start going to these classes, which ironically turned out to be the same church my mom had started taking me to that had that program. And the person that I was supposed to call when I looked at the name turned out to be one of my old Sunday school teachers that I used to cause disruptions from as a teenager before walking away from church. So I thought, oh boy, he's not going to be happy to happy to hear from me.
2: Was he? Did he remember you? Oh, he did. Yeah. And, like, he was, you're like, oh, yeah.
0: he did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he was very uh, loving, very nice, welcomed me back with open arms. It's just another God thing, how God orchestrates everything about the way the situation worked out. He had a plan in
2: it. How long was that program you went through?
0: The program, I think, I had to go to anger management as well as the substance abuse, and they were both 12-week classes. I did both of those, but then after I was done, I just continued going to that, started helping out there, enroll new people from probation and parole, because that's where most of them came from. So I kind of helped out with the program for a while.
2: And what was the name of the program again?
0: Life and Focus Education. But it's basically like Acts program.
2: What was the most beneficial thing that you found about the
0: program? I think all the love they showed. Before class, there's many, many people from the church that would be there. They brought food, and they would just visit with people coming in the doors and love on them to show them they cared. You think it's the best thing, I think, out of that program, even more so than just the classes, was the people from church there being there to support people.
2: Just to show that they do care and they want to see you succeed. Yes, ma'am. You said you had went to anger management. I did. did. you find that beneficial?
0: I did all of it. I mean, all the classes were beneficial. I know I learned it's okay to be angry, how you channel that anger,
2: what to do with it.
0: What is kind of like you said, be angry and sin not. We're human.
2: right?
0: So you just have to direct it the right way.
2: I mean, Jesus, he went flipping tables. So yeah,
0: in a right. <laughs> I guess it was righteous. It was good. <laughs>
2: i'll be talking to people and they're like you're not supposed to get angry i'm like you're not i'm like you know jesus he flipped tables and they're like, they're (laughs) like oh yeah he did and then god he wanted to annihilate all the children of israel they're like oh
0: yeah very true
2: how challenging was it for you to tap into your Because when you're doing drugs, you know, using substances, you're pretty much numbing out is what you're doing. Uh And so it's kind of like when you stop using, it's like this ice cube that is melting. And then those raw emotions start coming up. How did you work through those?
0: I would say that was probably one of the hardest things, learning to deal with emotions sober because the first reaction I want to do is pick a cigarette up or go get a beer or go get high. I think that was the hardest thing, especially in my marriage is dealing with emotions and being hurt and not, how do I t- handle it? It's been a process, I would say, just like I, it took me years to get to where I wasn't using. It's taken me time learning trial and error, I suppose, and learning lessons from God to be able to deal with emotions a little better. I'm not perfect, but I'm definitely not where, I'm definitely not who I used to be. So it was a process.
2: Now, in the book, you talk about your dad a little bit. Uh-huh. Were you ever in contact with him?
0: No, because he passed away when I was about five and a half months old. I never did actually I have no remembrance of them.
2: Was there anybody that ever stepped in and filled that role?
0: No, my mom raised both of us all by herself.
2: Like nobody from the church that would step up?
0: I don't believe so, no. No, my mom was pretty well on her own. I mean, I'm sure there's people who have helped her, but as far as us goes, I don't believe so, no.
2: Do you think it would have made a difference if somebody had stepped in and just kind of took you under their wing?
0: You know, I'm not sure. I mean, that, that's that's what statistically they show that it's better to have a father figure, but I'm not sure. I could have just turned out rebellious and it could have been worse. <laughs> that's true. I'm not sure. I mean, my mom tried her best and raised it. We knew truth and we were raised in a good way and we still just started rebellion. It's hard to say.
2: Where can people get your book?
0: It's only on one place right now and that is at apostolicpublishinghouse.org. Do you know
2: how much it is offhand?
0: Fourteen
2: ninety five. And I would suggest, ordering this book because it's a phenomenal book and there's poetry through it you've read a lot of poetry through all those periods
0: I did there's some of it that I had already had already wrote some of it I had wrote there's one poem I actually wrote when I first moved to Fargo and I had I was feeling lonely and struggling I wrote it actually while I was sitting in an empty apartment drinking a bottle of alcohol there's some poems, so I had wrote some, and there's a lot of them I wrote. After I'd started writing the book, I decided I'd like to have a poem after each chapter of the book. Most of them I got inspired, one of which I'd, I remember I was woke up on my 10-year anniversary of when I was arrested last. And around, somewhere around 1 o'clock in the morning, and just poetry just started coming to my mind. And the whole poem was wrote within minutes in the middle of the night.
2: Do you have any other type of creativity other than juggling and writing poetry? <laughs>
0: I like to draw, but I don't ever have time for that. I did a lot of drawing when I was locked up, but I haven't done too much since then.
2: Yeah, it's amazing what you discover while you're sitting there thinking about stuff. When you were locked up, was there ever a time when you felt like God was reaching out to you?
0: Not any of the other times. The new many times I was locked up before this last time, I'd never really had any recollection of anything. I never picked up a Bible once, but the last time, within like about a few weeks after being there, just feeling like a train wreck, going through withdrawals from alcohol, drugs, and cigarettes, I was just depressed. And I finally got down on my knees and sincerely prayed. I didn't care if I ever got out of jail and I was in prison for the rest of my life. I just wanted God to change my life. And I said, So wait a minute! I didn't care if I didn't get out at that time. I just didn't want to be the person I was." was i woke up the next morning like completely changed just no of course i didn't want to be in jail but like the sadness i was just overcome with like joy unspeakable like i didn't i'd never known you know a peace and joy like that especially considering my circumstances and i was just ecstatic i remember that whole day i think that's when he began really reaching for me when i was ready to listen
2: it's amazing when we get to that place in life that it's like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to...
0: I'm done.
2: I'm done. I'm going to listen. I'm tired of running. Yeah, you know, it's just like as well with emotion, It's it comes down to what are you going to do with it? Here you were, this was dropped in your lap, this test or trial or the raw emotion or whatever. And it's like, what are you going to do with that? I posted something the other day. It was just, I was sharing something and it was about, if you focus on the hurt, you will continue to suffer. If you focus on the lesson, you will continue to grow. And somebody asked in response to that, they said, can you learn something from being hurt? And I said, yeah, you can learn something from the lesson that caused the hurt. What is the biggest takeaway do you think you've learned from all these different lessons throughout your life?
0: I would say not only listen to your pastor, but don't give place to the devil because it only takes one thing to just draw you away. And many times it's actually really slowly. You don't really see its little things and you just become more and more numb to whether it be something you're watching or listening to or places you're going. I would say everything that people in our faith have standards and guidelines, it's for a reason not to get too close to the edge of the cliff. There's definitely a reason there. And I think we should all be more, myself included, more aware of that and more vigilant on trying to keep those boundaries where they need to be, because it really is an all-out war to pull us away.
2: I think that's a good point you bring up about listening to your pastor. It took me a long time to learn that lesson. I think for myself, learning to listen to my pastor, it was about realizing he wasn't out there to try and be cruel and beat me over the head and just be a dictator. That wasn't his goal in life. He wanted the best for me. And sometimes he could see stuff or God would let him know things that I couldn't always see in the process. When did that light bulb click on for you?
0: Oh, well, I know my pastor back in Missouri After I'd gotten through everything and I'd started turning my life around, I realized that a lot of things he said or did were only for my own good, and he saw me slipping. You don't always see it when you're in addiction, or you think people don't notice this or notice that. Just because that's just how it how it is. But other people around you notice it. I think that's when I first started realizing, you know. I should have listened to my pastor. My pastor here at Antioch Church, Andrew Slutton, and he's just a stand-up man of God as well. And I, I learn more by his actions, I would say. Not him getting on to me or ever saying anything to me, just his decisions, his actions, the way he lives his life. And it teaches me lessons. And when I see him the way he is, it just it gives me trust to just listen to him. If he sees something, then there's a reason for it. like you said, he sees something I don't see. There might be something that's not necessarily wrong or a sin in itself, but it's not expedient and it's not gonna lead you down the path that God wants you. It may be more of a distraction.
2: Yeah, I think when I finally realized that and the pastor I have now, I didn't I wasn't always under a pastor like that. I think if you submit yourselves, which is hard, it it's just hard to submit. But if you do that, you know, God does honor that. I know there was a period of time in our life, me and my husband that his job shut down; he didn't have work, and I was the only one working at that time, and even his unemployment hadn't come in. It was like there was a block looking back. I recognized that was God because he wanted us to move to the state we live in now at the time the pastor we were under, he did not want to release us till eventually we had no more money. It was like we was broke, and then finally he released us, and by not just up and going. Until he gave that release, now God has honored that. Have there been times where like you really wanted to do it and you didn't because your pastor said, you know, I don't think so. And then looking back, it's like you see where God honors that.
0: Well, I I can't answer it first. Whenever I had left Missouri, I had a business and I didn't want to leave. But god told me to go when i was getting ready to take over my friend's business and it would have been a very very good opportunity and i I was obedient even though i didn't want to i finally just packed everything up in three days and moved here to north dakota which he did he honored me giving up that opportunity and blessed me with my own business here far beyond i ever could have imagined and there was another time the church before i'm going to now i didn't i wasn't necessarily told not to go to where i am now but i'd wanted to for a couple years, at least a couple years. But I knew until God said it was time to go or gave me permission to go, I shouldn't just up and leave. So I stayed there and prayed about it for a long time until finally there was one Saturday morning. God said, today was a day. He told me, you can go now. I and mean, I think, I don't necessarily see, I mean, I don't know, I guess I'd say he honored because now I'm very happy where I'm at. He's blessed me with an amazing pastor and their family. Just not leaving, you know, until he said it's time.
2: Was your other pastor when you finally approached him? How how was he, or did he know? Sometimes they know.
0: He wasn't very happy about it, but I was positive. It wasn't something where I just up and was church hopping. I had many opportunities from things there that I could have, if, if I would have done my own will. I could have left a long time ago, but I stayed.
2: What do you think has been the most beneficial thing that you've done as far as being a business owner?
0: And I'm able to help out more. I help other people more. I help my church more. As far as like beneficial, I don't know what stuff that I've done, but it's beneficial for me where I can take off in the winter. and I can use that time to study, study my Bible, take classes online, just use that time to regroup and get closer to God and still be able to support myself.
2: There's a great book I got. And that's how I got into doing podcasts, because I heard there was an interview about this book that I'd heard so much about. I was like, oh, I'm going to listen. But, you know, sometimes that's the way God does things. He'll He'll get our attention with something, so we'll end up going the direction he's wanting us to go. But anyways, the one thing that I have found being a business owner, and it goes way back to, there was a Welch's Grape Juice the guy wanted to be a missionary for whatever reason. He couldn't be a missionary. So he, what he decided to do was before he paid out anything, he paid his tithes on his, his income. That always stuck out to me. Now, I heard that story probably 25 years ago. And then there was a guy at the church where I was going to at that time, and it was before I met my husband, he had a flooring business, like he would put, come in and put flooring in. And he said he did the same thing. And I was like, okay, there's a reason why it's sticking out. So I've done that. And and I don't know about you, but I've found that God is just really blessed. Before I pay my, my contracted employees, before I buy one piece of thing, before I pay a bill, I'll pay tithes on my business.
0: It's true. Sometimes I, after seeing it in my own life, I I think, man, I wish everybody truly saw this concept because it's crazy. I moved up here with nothing. I mean,
2: in the book, you were talking about being in your little apartment and I don't even think you didn't even have a chair. I don't think.
0: I had one, I had a metal fold-up chair. That was it, that I sat and ate with, had a bed. That was it. I literally had nothing. Finally, towards the end of the first year, I finally was able to get a kitchen table. Other than that, my living room was, everything was completely empty, But God has blessed me giving pain ties and offerings, and he's always faithful. He just is. I can't even describe how much he's blessed me, just like you said, with the business. Just, it's a good principle.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it really is. I'm sitting here thinking, man, there ain't no telling what we'll talk about on the podcast. Going back to your book, what do you hope is the outcome? Of the book? Yeah, by writing this book and getting it out there, what do you hope is the outcome?
0: My biggest goal, I mean, I guess I would say is I just wanted to touch other people's lives, people that think they can't make it or have done too much, whether they're in church and walked away or they're not in church um, and it's something new to them. I want them to be able to find hope and be able to experience God, feel experience him like we have. I want people to, the bonds of addiction in people's lives to be broke. A big goal of mine is I'm hoping over time is to be able to sell enough books here and there that I can give books away to rehabs, jails, prisons, shelters in my area, just give books away to people in, in hopes that that'll change a life. At the end, I, I put the gospel message so maybe people can read it on their own, i let God speak to them versus somebody just trying to tell them, this is what you need to do, or this and that. You know, just let them read that at the end of the book and then let God work on their heart. So it's kind of like a, I'm hoping it'll be a tool, you know, for people to read as a testimony that may not necessarily have heard truth. And then by the end of it, they'll heard it and then God can start working on their heart.
2: Because, I mean, it is, I'm telling you, this is, you, you do, you have a phenomenal testimony about just how, you went from one point all the way to where you're at now. And like I said at the beginning, you are a walking miracle. You really are. You know, there's been many times I'm thinking, how'd you get out of that? But you did.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: If anybody out there is interested in getting this book, you can go to ApostolicPublishingHouse.org and order the book. I will make sure I put the website on the for the podcast when it's announced. We're about to wrap up, but I want you to talk to that person out there who maybe they're in the midst of addiction, or maybe they've been in and out of jail, or just life circumstances has really got them, you know, they're questioning, like, what is their whole purpose in life? Talk to that person.
0: I would say everything isn't always what it seems. Um, Many things are blessings in disguise. You don't see it for what it is. God's trying to, he's either trying to get you to a point to bring you back to where you need to be. Or he's trying to get you to a point of desperation until you become sold out. I know I would say that it's, it isn't, nothing's over until you choose to get back up. There's many times when I was locked up and I look at the cell, next time I was locked up at the brick walls or a steel door and I think, you know, if I just wanna not continue this when I got out, I wouldn't be here again, you know, and it finally comes down to changing, changing your people, changing your places, changing the things, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to end that way. Many times God's just allowing things to go wrong to keep going wrong to get our attention, because we think when everything in life is going good, we have no need to reach for' them. you know we have food on the table, we have a job, we could have a perfectly good life and think we're blessed and we're and we're not blessed just to, just because we have money or this or that or you know what I mean, like Jesus said, you have all this, but you're poor, you're naked you, you don't see all this that that you need Jesus so I would have to say that it's not what it seems and to just keep trying. If you really put your heart into it and truly desire to change, God will meet you halfway. You just have to start listening for him and try to surrender your will as hard as that is.
2: Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast today and talking about your book, From Darkness to Light. Again, you can find that at the ApostolicPublishingHouse.org. I would strongly suggest to get it. Order a couple extra copies and give them out to some people that you know it would benefit. And even if they're not going through addiction, maybe they're just struggling with life. One hard hit after another. And uh, Because you deal with anger and all kinds of stuff when you're dealing with life. Thank you again for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it.
0: Yes, thank you for having me, Denise.
2: If you know somebody who this would benefit and bless, make sure you tell them about the podcast, share this episode with them. And until then, have a blessed and wonderful day.
1: Thank you for listening to The Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on the real talk 238 podcast you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com you can also find the real talk 238 podcast on facebook and instagram listed as at the real talk 238 as a reminder the real talk 238 podcast is not a substitute nor does it replace therapy always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.